0: Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Fresh Frozen Southerner podcast. My name is Jay. I hope all is well. Coming to you a little late again this week, I actually sat down and recorded a show last night and I was listening back to it, re- doing the editing and taking out the pauses and stuff. I really didn't like the way it turned out. I was kind of all over the place. I'm not sure what was special about last night, but I just really did not have a very good product when I was finished. So I scrapped that, and I'm re-recording it today. I've said several times that this is a hobby, and I'm learning as I go. I'm trying hard to get better. Uh, I did not like at all what I recorded last night. So I'm starting over. uh, But again, guys, I've gotten a few comments. I've gotten some good critiques and some good suggestions. But I would like to hear from you guys. So as always, if you would send me an email at southerner at gmail.com. Uh, Give me some advice. Give me your thoughts. I'd love to hear from you guys. All right. With all that said, uh, if you listened to the show last week, I spoke a little bit about prohibition. Uh, Mostly I was discussing a very boneheaded and callous decision that the U.S. Congress had made. But I also touched a little bit on the fact that legislating behavior does not really work. People are going to do what they want to do. And if you pass a law, they're simply going to find ways to get around it. I'm not trying to excuse criminal behavior. I'm merely facing the reality of human nature, which is they're going to do what they want to do. If you need any proof of this fact, if you've ever watched to catch a predator, that is a 35-year-old man who has decided to drive his 1995 Saturn sedan across three states simply because he thinks he's going to get to touch a 14-year-old boob. And the fact that it is a very severe felony does not deter them. The fact that it is one of the most detested crimes in our society does not deter them. So I feel like we as a country should have learned a lot of lessons from Prohibition. And it does not seem like any of those lessons stuck. Because in 1971, then-President Richard Nixon declared war on drugs. Now, my opinion on the war on drugs is not very popular among the people I know. As a matter of fact, even people very close to me look at me like I'm insane when I tell them what I think that we should do regarding this issue. But please understand, I am not speaking to the morality or the ethics of people using drugs. I'm not speaking to the health effects of people using drugs. I don't think that there's anybody in this country that does not understand that abusing drugs is bad for your health. Too much of anything is not good for you. Too much oxygen becomes toxic in your system. If you drink too much water, it will cause health problems. Abusing anything is not a good idea. I'm not saying that it's okay for people to overindulge in their weapon of choice. I am simply speaking to the nuts and bolts reality that we have really got to face. And again, it's the simple fact that you can pass every law you want to. People are just going to turn their energy to getting around that law. And I'm a very pragmatic person. I, I simply want to do what works. It may not be what I would ideally like to happen in any given situation, but it is a waste of time. And it's definitely a waste of money to try to do things that simply are not ever going to happen. Going back to the Bolstead Act and the 19th Amendment as an example, that should have severely curtailed drinking in the United States. But what actually happened? Alcohol consumption increased after Prohibition took effect. Alcoholism soared after Prohibition took effect. They were speakeasies on every corner. We were making people that were, the day before, simply just a street thug, and we turned them into millionaires. Some of those people are American icons of crime. The U.S. government, for the 13 years that the 19th Amendment was in effect, spent $300 million on enforcement. I know that doesn't sound like a lot, because today, a congressman, he'll spend $300 million just driving into the office. But in 1920, $300 million was an insane amount of money. And I found a statistic that said over the 13 years that the 19th Amendment was in effect, the government lost $11 billion in tax revenue. 1920s money, $11 billion. And it literally, what we got for all that money was the opposite of what it was intended to do. So as far as the war on drugs goes, the very first thing that we need to do, and this is The step that's really the monkey wrench in the works is that we as a country, and in particular, our elected leaders, need to be able to tap the brakes on a bad decision. And very few human beings want to admit that they're wrong, and there are zero politicians that will admit that they're wrong. And I understand that up to a point, because if you hold a press conference and say that something was a bad idea and we're going to walk that back... When you go up for re-election, that is going to be the lead soundbite in your opponent's campaign ad every single time is you standing in front of a microphone and saying you were wrong. Another part of this is no politician wants to be running for re-election and have his opponent saying that you're soft on crime and you want the children of America to be hooked on heroin. That kind of hyperbole needs to be done away with. I have no idea how we do that short of executing every elected official and starting from scratch because that is very ingrained in that culture, but it's something that we need to do. We need to stop banging our head against the wall when it does nothing for any person in this country. I mentioned a moment ago that from 1920 to 1933, we spent $300 million on enforcing the Volstead Act. Well, since 1971 to today, we have spent $1 trillion trying to enforce drug laws. And again, what have we gotten for that $1 trillion? Drugs are readily available. They are pouring into the country from every possible entry point you can think of. Uh, Drug use has went down a little bit. Again, crime as a whole has been trending down for the last couple of decades, Uh, But still, the drugs are there. Anybody that wants them is able to get their hands on them. Our court system and our prisons are inundated with drug offenses. And it's not law enforcement's fault. Again, the task that we have given them is an impossibility. The DEA has about 11,000 employees, and their budget is around $3.5 million per year. Now, that goes up every year. I didn't see the 2021 totals, but $3.5 million is a fairly good guesstimate on that. But let's say that they did just a bang-up job and they strangled off 90% of the illegal drugs coming into this country. The effect that that's going to have is that the price of the street drugs is going to skyrocket. And suddenly, if the profit potential has tripled or quadrupled or maybe even 10 times as much, you're just going to have that many more people willing to risk smuggling drugs into the country. And that's really the catch-22 with this whole situation. Supply can go down, but the demand is going to stay the same. And let's not forget that the profits from that demand are going into the pockets of seemingly exclusively people that hate this country. The Mexican cartels control vast swaths of Mexico. And when I say they control it, in the places where the cartels have power, they have more soldiers that are better equipped and the Mexican government simply could not go toe-to-toe with them in a fight. You wonder, why doesn't the military just root these cartels out? It's because they'd get their asses handed to them if they went up against them in a one-on-one confrontation. A couple of years ago, I think it was El Chapo's son, but I could be remembering that wrong, but the Federales had captured the son of a high-level cartel member and had him in prison. The cartel mobilized... A lot of their people and went to the town where this individual was being held and they didn't go in guns blazing. They went to the governor of that area and told him, let that guy go or there's going to be trouble. Guess what happened? The governor said, here you go, because he knew that the cartel's army could devastate that entire area and the Mexican military would be powerless to stop them. There are places in Mexico where you cannot fly a plane simply because the cartel have anti-aircraft emplacements, and if you fly a plane over their territory, they're going to shoot you down, and they're not going to ask questions as, well, is that just a private pilot, or is that the federales doing surveillance? They're just going to shoot that plane out of the sky, and they're not going to worry about it beyond that. I'm sure you've noticed in the news that heroin overdoses have skyrocketed in the last few years. That's because it's not just heroin anymore. It's getting mixed with a synthetic opioid called fentanyl. Now, fentanyl for years was coming from China. But in recent years, that's starting to come out of Mexico. Now, you wonder, how did that happen? It's because China sent engineers and chemists to Mexico to set up fentanyl labs for the Mexican cartels. I don't know how much money was involved in that, but I know China didn't do that for free. When are we going to stop kissing China's ass? They thumb their nose at us every chance they get. I don't understand why we put up with it. I get the fact that there's a lot of money to be made, both sports franchises and the entertainment industry, But everything China does turns out to be shady. When is the last time you heard about a product coming from China that wasn't just loaded with toxic chemicals that led to a couple people's deaths? I I don't understand it. But getting back stateside, the $3.5 million a year that I said was the budget for the DEA, that is just for enforcement on their end. That does not include the money that we spend trying these individuals and incarcerating them for years on end. In this country, someone is arrested for possession every 25 seconds. Now, a lot of that is not going to include people that were trying to sell the drugs on the street. Those are simple possession charges. Now, I get it. This person knew what they were holding in their pocket was illegal, and if the police failed them with it, it was going to have some serious consequences. I'm not saying that this person did not knowingly and volitionally commit a crime. But who did they hurt? Do we really need to lock somebody up for five years and pay the bill for locking them up for five years because they had a gram of cocaine in their pocket, or a dime bag of weed. I'm a little older, they still say dime bags, I don't know. But we spend $9.2 million to incarcerate drug offenders every single day. And beyond just the cost of keeping these people in prison, when a drug user gets out of prison for the next two weeks, they are 13 times more likely to overdose. Because sitting in prison, they were forced to detox. And then they get out, they go home, they want to celebrate being out of prison, they want to party and have a good time, and they get their hands on their drug of choice. They take the dose that they were taking before they went into prison, and they find out the hard way that their tolerances went way down, and their body cannot handle the amount of that substance in their system. And even the ones that are lucky enough to survive their welcome home party, That person now has a drug conviction on their record. In most cases, it's going to be a felony. It's going to be nearly impossible for them to get a job. Even if they wanted to get their life back on track and walk the straight and narrow, it's going to be all but impossible for them to do that. So they're sort of confined to poverty, working these crappy little menial jobs that doesn't pay them very much. The chances of them getting involved in drugs again, getting involved in crime again, skyrockets at that point. And most of them are going to wind up back in prison and contributing to that $9.2 million a day. So what do we do? How do we fix this? My answer is pretty simple. We just stop. We have wasted 50 years, untold amount of money, ruined people's lives, cost people's lives. I heard a statistic that in the drug trade, more people die in the course of producing and smuggling cocaine into this country than overdose from it once it's here. So just doing nothing right there will save some lives. And it's at this point in whatever conversation I'm having about this that the person I'm talking to looks at me and says, That's crazy. We can't just legalize all the drugs. Everybody would be out getting high, and people are going to be neglecting their children and losing their jobs. Again, drugs are available. Anybody that wants to get high is getting high. And we have got some fantastic examples of what decriminalizing a narcotic will do to a society right here in the United States. When Colorado and Washington State legalized recreational marijuana... I thought to myself, in another 10 years, it's going to be legal everywhere in the United States. It's taken a little bit longer than what I expected. But I knew that all the other states in the union were going to be looking at these two states, and they're going to see how much their law enforcement budget goes down, how much their court systems and their prison systems budget was going to go down. And then on the flip side of that, how much tax revenue they were bringing in from selling recreational marijuana. And have you heard any issues out of California, Washington, Colorado? I'm not sure what other states have have made that legal. Uh, Pennsylvania, where I'm at, has medical marijuana. They're discussing doing recreational marijuana. I think West Virginia just passed it. You're not seeing issues from these places uh, because the simple fact of the matter is, is that anybody in those states that wanted to smoke marijuana was already doing it. The people that weren't smoking marijuana, they're not going to suddenly wake up today and decide, I think I'd like to get high today. That's not how people operate. We understand that in our personal lives. But for some reason, we always think everybody else is different from us. Though they're not. People act like people. And then you have the argument, well, marijuana is a gateway drug. I've never bought into that. Marijuana does not take control of your brain and force you to shoot heroin It is the simple fact that if somebody enjoys getting high, they're probably going to experiment with other ways of getting high. Some people will move on to harder drugs. Some people won't enjoy them and stay with marijuana. That's going to happen, whether it's legal, not legal, it doesn't matter. But it's at this point that a lot of people will say to me, well, that's marijuana, that's not a very strong drug. It's different with heroin and crystal meth and cocaine, ecstasy, LSD. Well, fortunately, the world's a big place, and we have got examples of what happens when you decriminalize everything. Portugal, about 15 years ago, decriminalized all narcotics. Um, Anything that you want to ingest in Portugal is 100% legal for you to possess and consume. Drug addiction rates are well below the EU average. Drug use among teenagers is far below the EU average, the overdose rate in Portugal is five times lower than the average European Union country. And get this, 50 times lower than the United States. What Portugal did is they took all the money that they were spending on enforcement and interdiction trying to keep drugs out of the country, and they funneled that into drug education and treatment plans. Now, the U.S. has got 350 million people. I think the population of Portugal is about 40 million. So I'm not saying that this will scale one-to-one comparison. It may be a little bit different. But during the Clinton administration, he funded a study trying to look into different ways to combat the drug problem in the United States. The study was performed by the Rand Institute, And the findings that they had was if we put our focus on treatment instead of interdiction, it would be 23 times more effective than trying to police drugs coming into the country. 23 times more effective. The only question I have about this study is why in the hell didn't Bill Clinton do something about this in the 90s? How much money could it have saved us? Now, obviously, there are drug treatment programs out there most of them are voluntary sometimes people are court ordered to attend these things but how many more people would go to these treatment facilities if but just by walking in the door they weren't admitting to a felony it would remove a lot of the stigma a lot of the shame you know when somebody says that they're going to AA meetings we don't look at them as junkies we Thinking, you. Hey, good for you. You're trying to improve your life. I hope everything works out great for you. And at the moment, that's not how people look at individuals trying to go through drug treatment programs. There's sort of a feeling that, well, that person has failed as a human being. And it really shouldn't be that way, especially if drug treatment is a more effective way to combat drug abuse than combating the drugs themselves. You know, when I worked as a service writer, I had a conversation with customers on multiple occasions where they had a vehicle that whatever was wrong with it at the time certainly could be repaired, but it's not going to fix the car, if you can understand what I'm saying. And the line that I use several times with customers is, yes, we can do this, but you're throwing good money after bad. And that's the way we need to look at the war on drugs in this country. We are beating our head against the wall. We are spending incredible amounts of money. And the only thing that's happening is we are making criminals rich. I know morally it's hard for a lot of people to say that people should be able to do drugs if they want to. My personal feelings are... What you do in the privacy of your home is none of my business. And as long as it does not affect me, it will not concern me. Unfortunately, the people that set policy in this country feel very strongly that if they are not staunchly opposed to something, it means they're advocating for it. That is not the case. I'm sure most people would understand that that's not the case. I get it that you have to take a stand for your job, but could we stop spending so much of my tax dollars so that you can pretend to be doing something? Just a thought. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's about all I've got for you today. Again, I understand that my opinion on this subject is not the norm, and a lot of people are going to disagree with it, but that's the beauty of a free country. We can all think how we feel about a subject. I hope you enjoyed the show. I enjoyed bringing it to you. If you have a comment for me, please send me an email at southerner at gmail.com. Again, I would love to hear from you. I would love to get a little advice and some critiques. Uh, But if you've got a couple of minutes, please shoot me an email. I will will read it. Uh, Most likely, I will respond to you as well. Uh, But I hope everybody has a good weekend. Enjoy the sunshine. It's supposed to be pretty damn nice here in Pennsylvania, and that's not very often I get to say that. Hey, but get outside, get a little sunshine, get a little fresh air, and I will talk to you on Monday. Thank you very much, guys. Have a good weekend.